Good evening and welcome to the Spirit and Life Bible Study. My name is Jonathan. Our reader is Cara tonight. And our topic that just came to me is seeking peace. Um, I'm thinking about, uh, thinking particularly about something the Lord said during the triumphal entry where he said that the people did not know what made for their peace. And I think that's so true of, of all of us. We don't really know. We, we spend a lot of our lives sort of going after uh, what we think is peace that isn't peace or that satisfies us temporarily and then leaves us hungry or frustrated or restless or nervous or whatever. And so I want to talk about these two different pathways to peace tonight. We'll even do the hippie thing and talk about how peace relates to love. And um, so would you care to join me on that journey, good friends? <clears throat> Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you are the one God of heaven and earth. We thank you, Lord, for bowing the heavens and coming down, the Word made flesh. We pray for your help in understanding your Word. Teach us which way to find peace. Amen. Sending love to those of you who are out there online and those who are on the audio and the podcast and here in the room. So delightful to see you, good friends. And um, let's look at that passage first. It's in Luke in the New Testament. And uh, we'll have a look at what the Lord says here. It's right around the time of the triumphal entry. We're looking for Luke chapter 19. Mm. Oh, yes. Okay. Uh, let's start at verse 37 for this kind of triumphal entry moment here as it's described in Luke. 37. Then, as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Ah, so they said peace... In heaven, that's interesting. Peace in heaven, because we'll see that it said something at the Christmas story about peace on earth, didn't it? Uh, but peace in heaven is what they said at this triumphal entry. Okay, go on. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Mm. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent the stones would immediately cry out. Mm. Now, as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it. This is Jerusalem. So he's coming down into Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives and he weeps over the city. And what does he say? Saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace. The things that make for your peace. If only you had known what would have made for your peace. Go on. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Yes, it's interesting. And then he goes immediately into the temple and casts out the um, 
the money changers and, and so on. So uh, I found that powerful that as the triumphal entry is going on, he weeps over the city and says, you didn't know what made for your peace. You know, you, you didn't understand uh, the peace that the Lord had to, had to offer them. Um, and so that got me thinking about us and how, how do we know what makes for our peace. We have a lot of foolish ideas about peace. Um, basically, one of the things that I want to argue tonight is that uh, peace has to do with love. It has to do with our will and the satisfaction of our will, like just in a sort of earthly sense. If you've been longing and longing for something, then when you finally get it, you know, there's a sense of peace or when there's been some battle and finally it's resolved or something of, of whatever different kind. Uh, it, the, the, the peace, the cessation of hostilities uh, uh, and finally getting what you've wanted for so long that you weren't getting. But what makes us a little tricky is that Swedenborg talks about the fact that we have two different levels to us. We have an outside and we have an inside and so we can be operating from a kind of earthly will. And what the earthly will thinks will make it peaceful is different than, what did it say, peace in heaven. You know, it's different than peace in the inner self. And so I think we'll see that in these passages. Let's have a look. Um, uh, let's start at Psalm 4. Okay, so go to the middle of your Bible. Roughly there you should find the Psalms. And let's go to Psalm 4. I think we might just read this whole thing. I think this is very beautiful. Oops. Okay. Hmm. Mm. I'm slow today. All right. Mm. Psalm 4. Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. Uh -huh. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. How long, O you sons of men, will you turn my glory to shame? How long will you love worthlessness oh. and seek falsehood? <laughs> Say a lot. Yes, yes. Isn't that a great description of loving worthless things? I think that has to do with, you know, we're seeking peace in the wrong places. Go on. But know that the Lord has set apart for himself him who is godly. The Lord will hear when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. And I think that's amazing advice right there, especially the second half of that. Meditate in your own heart on your bed and be still. So it's something within that it's talking about that would supply that stillness. A condition of our heart that would enable us to feel that peace. Go on. Offer the sacrifices of, sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. Yes, and the way Swedenborg understands the sacrifices of righteousness would be the, the things that we do as, as we repent, treat other people well, and so on. Those, not animal sacrifices or something, but the, the actual sacrifices of doing good things for others and put our trust in the Lord. Go on. There are many who say, who will show us any good? Lord, lift up the light of your countenance upon us. You have put gladness in my heart more than in the season that their grain and wine increase. Aha, uh -huh. so the Lord is able to put a gladness in our hearts 
that's more than just like, oh, the crops are doing well. And obviously, if you understand Swedenborg's idea of correspondence, is those also have a, a meaning having to do with love and truth. But the, this is a gladness that the Lord puts in our heart. And then this is a beautiful verse that it ends with, I think. I will both lie down in peace and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Yes. So peace has something to do with safety as well, doesn't it? Protection from enemies, to be in peace, to really, really sleep. Uh, that's a beautiful psalm. And to my mind, uh, there was a lot of complex things in there. But to my mind, it was talking about the, the, it has something to do with the way that we uh, live our lives, the sacrifices of righteousness, putting our trust in the Lord, and also just what goes on in our hearts in those quiet moments, you know, when you're meditating in your own heart on your bed and, and be still. Uh, Psalm 34 is also a sort of um, important passage about this. Uh, let's read verses 7 to 14 there. How about that? The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. Aha. So this is something of that protection, isn't it? That the angel of the Lord would camp around people who fear the Lord. In other words, they worship the Lord, they respect him and so on. And he, he delivers them. And this is a beautiful phrase, isn't it? Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Okay, now I want to just say, I don't know if this is really contained in this verse, but what it makes me think of is that uh, our, uh, my experience of, of the human will, uh, the will of our outer self, is that it, uh, to my mind, has kind of an addictive nature. Uh, it wants things uh, that end up not satisfying it. And then it wants more, and it wants more, and it wants more and more, and it becomes more and more restless. It thinks it knows what it wants. So I'm interested, it says, the young lions lack and suffer hunger. It, that's that feeling of not having enough, not being at peace, being restless, and so on. But those who seek the Lord don't lack any good thing. You know, there's a state of abundance if we can come into that inner self, like the peace of that inner self, the peace of our higher will uh, that gives us that, that um, blessing that we do, we, we're not craving this or that. Uh, we, we're just satisfied. There's an abundance in there. That's the real peace. And so I see Scripture trying to differentiate between these. Let's go on and see what else this says here. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Oh, well, here's a recipe. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. And here we go. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. So it seems logical to conclude to me that that the way that we seek peace and pursue it is by departing from evil and doing good. And uh, so the f verse 13 there is about what we say. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. 
And uh, the idea of pursuing peace is ironic uh, because what you'd like to do is just have a nice warm bath in peace. Why should you have to chase it around or something? But, but uh, that is part of what we're going through that we need to, it, it's elusive, you know, and especially that higher kind of peace. We need to do some work to get there. We don't just, uh, you know, sort of say an affirmation and, and we're there. Um, uh, we really have to go after that. Seek peace and pursue it. And that's what the Lord wants to do. And so when he's doing the triumphal entry, he's saying, you didn't know, you know, you didn't know, what you, you didn't figure out what would make you peaceful. And that's a sad thing to the Lord. Um, let's look down at um, verses 18 and 19, because it seems to fit in here, doesn't it? The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. Uh and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Yeah, so this doesn't necessarily mean, oh, your life is just going to be great, everything's going to be wonderful. You know, the, the Lord is able to build this peace in us through our suffering and the compassion that grows up with our broken heart and so on. And look at that next verse. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Yes, that's right. Just a, just a beautiful statement there. Um, Okay, let's turn to the right and go to Isaiah. Oh, well, no, let's mix this in. Let's go to Proverbs, which is also to your right, but not quite as far as Isaiah. Let's go to Proverbs 29, because I want to read some passages about the other side of it, about the kind of restlessness um, that comes with wickedness and so on. 29 verse 9. If a wise man contends with a foolish man, whether the fool rages or laughs, there is no peace. There's no peace. <laughs> so do you, do you enjoy that? Uh, so you've got a wise person, you've got a foolish person, and whether the foolish person is raging and angry or laughing or whatever, there, there's no peace. Under neither circumstance is there peace. I think that's the story of our lives. Uh, one of the things that I wanted to get across tonight is that uh, I think a lot of what we go through in this life is a very careful framing of the before picture. Uh, Swedenborg says that we cannot know what is blessed, peaceful, and happy unless we've known what is not blessed, not peaceful, not happy. And we uh, become more and more sensitive to it by contrasts that are actually experienced. So this is very, very good news, friends, because we're becoming skilled connoisseurs in misery. We are becoming experts in frustration, uh, you know, in loss and so on. And I think it's all a before picture. And the Lord has this wonderful peace. Boy, we'll know it when we hit it, you know, because it arises from the contrast actually experience. So... Uh, we're, we're getting ready. You know, good things are, are coming up ahead. Uh, let's go to the right to Isaiah now. Let's try Isaiah 45. Let's do that. Mm. Okay. Isaiah 45. Let's just look at uh, verse 7. This is a rather strange statement. Oh, let's read verse 6 too. That they may know from the rising of the, sun, of the sun to its setting that there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. 
I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create calamity. I, the Lord, do all these things. Now, that's rather strangely worded. Swedenborg would say that's written according to an appearance. It is true that the Lord creates peace. It's not true that he creates calamity, uh, but his presence can cause that as he comes closer. Uh, but he is the source of peace. He's the Prince of Peace. Look at Isaiah 57 for a contrast there. Um, verses 19 to 21. I love this description. I create the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace to him who is far off and to him who is near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. This is what the Lord wants to do. This is what he was talking about, the triumphal entry. He wants to heal us. He wants to give peace, whether we're far away or we're close. Uh, the Lord wants to heal us and give us peace. But, but the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. And here's this famous statement. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Yes, no peace for the wicked. Um, Part of this kind of, uh, this, this, there may be many different ways of thinking about this, but part of the way I'm thinking about it is that there's a sort of addictive cycle uh, where you're, you're stuck. This is, this is the piece of the outer self, a false piece, is you get stuck in this thing where your evil will wants to act out and you're getting thoughts about acting out, whatever form that might take. And, but you're whatever conscience you might have or just fear of whatever just no I can't but I want to but I can't but I want to and there's just this din going on in your head about it and the only way to get peace is to do it like the the thing just makes a racket until you do it then you get about 10 minutes of peace uh, that's that external peace it's not a good peace it doesn't work it's not lasting uh, because then you oh no what have I done and and the whole thing you know this is sort of the addictive cycle. There's that short-term peace that the outer self wants. But the Lord's trying to build this deep inner peace in us by developing a whole different kind of love inside ourselves. It's characteristic of all the different kinds of evil, I think, uh, that they project to us that there will be peace in some form of, yeah, just, just do it. You know, there'll be peace in that. But there isn't. There isn't peace in there. We don't know what makes for our peace. Um, let's look at Jeremiah chapter 6. So go to the right. Mm. Okay, Jeremiah 6, verse 13. This is a description of people who are not, uh, not in the true state of peace. Because from the least of them, even to the greatest of them, Everyone is given to covetousness. And from the prophet even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. They have also healed the hurt of my people slightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Aha. Uh -huh. You see what that's saying? So it, it's talking about a situation where there's all this rampant covetousness, which is against the Ten Commandments, and from the prophet to the priest, everyone's dealing falsely. So these people who should be healers and should be helping society are not helping. They healed the daughter of my people slightly, it said. Like, it didn't really work. 
Because you say peace, peace. You say peace, peace. But there is no peace. Uh, there's no peace because you, you're, on, you're on the whole wrong level. As long as there's false dealing and covetousness and everything, you'll never have peace that way. This is why the Lord is against evil because it, it's, it's bad for us. It's bad for our hearts. It's, you, you never get satisfied, and, and it's, it's very frustrating. And they say, oh, here, this will make you peaceful, that will make you peaceful, but there's no peace. And uh, let's just look at verse 16. Thus says the Lord, Stand in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths ah. where the good way is, and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. Wow. Okay. So that so there maybe it's describing a situation where there's all this innovation. There's all this new. Just go back to good old fashioned repentance. You know, go back to the old ways, the Ten Commandments, and so on. Walk in that, and you will find rest, not for your outer self, for your souls. You'll find rest for your souls. Uh, but what did they say? But they said, "We will not walk in it." Yeah, we don't want to. Because <laughs> we don't know where our peace is. You know, we don't know what makes for our peace. We don't, that doesn't seem peaceful at all to us. Uh, we'd rather solve the problem another way. Okay, I, uh, okay, let's turn to the right and go to Ezekiel. Um, Ezekiel 37. Okay, verses 24 to 27. This is a positive statement to my mind. David, my servant, shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. They shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. So here again, in a statement that we're about to encounter here that has to do with peace, it's talking about walking according to the Lord's teachings. You know, I'm hammering this every week. Um, it's doing them. It's practicing these things. That's what makes for our peace. Go on. Then they shall dwell in the land that I have given to Jacob, my servant, where your fathers dwelt. And they shall dwell there, they, their children, and their children's children forever. Mm. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. Aha. Uh -huh. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. I will establish them and multiply them, and I will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. My tabernacle also shall be with them. Indeed, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The nations also will know that I, the Lord, sanctify Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. Yes, and the way Swedenborg understands what Israel means here is everybody who's living uh, by their religious principles. So the Lord's tabernacle. So this is not a temporary peace. This is not sort of a, a relief to an itch or something. This is an eternal covenant of peace uh, because the Lord will make his sanctuary in the midst of us forevermore. He is the source of peace itself. And so when his love is in our heart, then we've got peace indeed. Um, okay, I can't resist going to this. Let's go to Matthew in the New Testament. Let's go to Matthew chapter 14, because this story came to mind. And uh, uh, 
Let's start at verse 3, 14 verse 3. This is the story of Herod and Herodias and John the Baptist. So let's just read this. I can fill in some details. Verse 3? Yeah. For Herod had laid hold of John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Yes. Uh, Herod had been married to someone named Aratas, uh, who was a daughter of the king of the Nabataean kingdom, which was right next door. And so, but he had divorced her and married uh, the person who was divorced by his half-brother, Philip, who was Herodias. And John had said that was not good. Look at the next verse. Because John had said to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. So Herod put John and bound him and put him in prison because John was making this noise about you're you're doing the wrong thing. Okay, go on. And although he wanted to put him, meaning John the Baptist, to death, he feared the multitude because they counted him as a prophet. Okay, so he wants to put, so look at what's in his heart. Wants to kill John the Baptist. Why does he want to kill him? He wants to kill him because John the Baptist was saying stuff he didn't want to hear. And so, uh, but what is the other feeling in his heart? He fears the multitude because they count him as a prophet. Go on. But when Herod's birthday was celebrated, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod. Therefore, he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Yes, and I read an interesting commentary of this today because they said that uh, he was acting like one of these enormous, powerful leaders. Uh, he was actually just sort of a two-bit guy in a little small part of a nether part of the world. So, but he's acting like this big, I'll give you whatever you want, in the king. So go on. So she, having been prompted by her mother, said, Give me John the Baptist's head here on a platter. Yes. And the king was sorry. Nevertheless, because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him, he commanded it to be given to her. Okay, so he's, okay, he wants John dead, but he fears the multitude, but he also fears the opinion of his guests because he made this foolish oath. I mean, this guy's getting pinned in every way, isn't he? Go on. So he sent and had John beheaded in prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. Then his disciples came and took away the body and buried it and went and told Jesus. Okay, so why does this story come to mind? Herod had a problem. Uh, John the Baptist is making things not peaceful for him. So he thinks he knows the things that make for his peace. Put him in prison, shut him up. If you get a chance, nobody's looking, kill him. And so, and I think Herod's a perfect picture here of uh, our mind when we're just in that outer self. It's like the mind of the outer self. And Herodias is like the will of the outer self. And the mind is kind of neurotic. There are a lot, as one commentator pointed out, like Ahab and Jezebel, if you know those two in the, in the Old Testament, uh, where she's sort of ruthless and he's kind of neurotic. So Herod's neurotic and... He, he wants to kill him, but he fears the multitude. He's like, oh, oh, it's just bound one way or the other. We can't do right. Uh, but Herodias has this clarity of like, oh, as soon as the question is asked, like, I know, you know, kill him, lop off his head. That will make for our peace. We will shut him up. 
Now, read the first two verses of the chapter. Let's go back to that. Thank you. I'm just wondering about that. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the report about Jesus. Oh, he heard a report about Jesus. And said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead, and therefore these powers are at work in him. Now, so you get what's going on? No. Did killing John the Baptist <laughs> solve Herod's problem? No, he's terrified. Because here comes this Jesus. Now, did John the Baptist do miracles? No, not as far as we know. No, he didn't do miracles. <laughs> but he hears about Jesus, who's doing all these miracles. And he thinks, oh, it's John the Baptist, come back from the dead, more powerful than ever. Did it make for his peace? Is he more peaceful having solved the problem of beheading John the Baptist? Which he needed a little help to do from, from his wife, but... But uh, is he more peaceful now? No, the thing has died and gone to heaven. You know, it's larger than life now. It's going to come and get him. He's terrified. And, and, that, and so it just as soon as this happens, I know what this is. This is John the Baptist. He's come back for revenge. I'm gonna, you know. So it, <laughs> his fear level has not gone down as a result of killing John the Baptist. Uh, there was another figure, I think he was related to John the Baptist, who was killed in the New Testament. Begins with a J, forget his name, Jesus, something like that. And people wanted to shut him up too. They wanted to shut him up. You don't know what makes for your peace. He knows they're planning to kill him. You don't know what makes for your peace. And what happens to him? He really does die and get larger than life and more powerful than ever. And uh, does it work? To kill him. See, ultimately, that's what the lower self wants to do, is to kill the noise. There's a noise that says, you need to change your ways. Shut up! You know? We don't want to hear it. And both of those figures, John the Baptist and Jesus, are figures of the Word. Jesus is the Word made flesh. John the Baptist, obviously, represents the Word and so on. And... Um, so, can you see a tendency? Is there a tendency in ourselves? Is there a tendency in our world to want to behead the Word, this image of beheading the Word? Like you want to say, oh yeah, there's a body there. It's just a corpse. But there's no God inside it. There's no revelation. There's no inspiration. It's just cobbled together by a bunch of political people for some political reason thousands of years ago, some Bronze Age crud. You know, we don't have to pay attention to that. Cut its head off. We don't want to hear it. Behead it. That will make for our peace. We will kill the word. And I think there's been some success in, in this in some way, you know, to just make it an irrelevant, just cut its head off. Shut it up. We don't like what it's saying. But does it work? It doesn't work. It doesn't. If only you knew what makes for your peace. You're wrong. That's the lower self ultimate insane solution to the problem is to cut off John the Baptist's head. That, that's how you'll get peace. That's how you'll be able to do what you want. That picture of the will, Herodias, and the intellect, uh, Herod, you know, being able to do what they want. Uh, just get, get rid of John the Baptist. Get him out of the way. Get the Lord out of the way. There may have been some people who felt relieved when Jesus was put to death uh, I mean, certainly there was such an outcry 
against him. You know, the, the teaching, he's taking power and he's, you know, he's ruining everything and, and you've, you've got to kill him. And it was perfectly within the Jews' right to stone him, uh, but they wanted something worse. They, they wanted crucifixion. They, they really wanted to, to uh, shut him up. Uh, there's also a story in the Old Testament, isn't there, about um, Jeremiah, who's saying things that people don't want to hear, and they throw him in prison. They try to shut him up, too. You know, I mean, this is a human tendency. We don't want to hear it. So we think the thing that makes for our peace is to shut, stop the noise, you know, Stop the thing that's telling us you need to change your ways. There's no peace for the wicked. I'm telling you, not a good path. Give that up. No, I love that. Shut up. You know, and the thing just keeps trying to say, no, lay that aside. I'm telling you, there's, there's peace in a, in a different direction. That's the ultimate. Um, and so you end up in the situation that's cursed in Leviticus. Let's turn all the way back to the third book of the Bible. In Leviticus, there are these curses, and there's just this magnificent description here. There's actually sort of five rounds of these things, and we don't have time to read them all or even much part of them. But, but let's read 26, uh, verse 36. This is all about if people do not hearken to the Lord, it says in verse 14, and you will not do these commandments, here's what's going to happen to you. The Lord is warning us. This is what's going to happen. This is how you'll end up. And look at verse uh, 36 down there. This one just gets me. And as for those of you who are left, I will send faintness into their hearts in the lands of their enemies. The sound of a shaken leaf shall cause them to flee. They shall flee as though fleeing from a sword, and they shall fall when no one pursues. Go on. They shall stumble over one another, as it were before a sword, when no one pursues. And you shall have no power to stand before your enemies. This is the opposite of that peace and safety where you sleep at night and you feel fine and everything. No power to stand before your enemies. Go on. You shall perish among the nations and the land of your enemies shall eat you up. <clears throat> and those of you who are left shall waste away in their iniquity in your enemies' lands. Mm. Also in their father's iniquities, which are with them, they shall waste away. But, but if, if they confess their inequity and turn things around, it won't be bad. You know, you won't have to face these curses. That particular curse of the faintness in the hearts and the sound of a shaken leaf will chase them, you know, where you're running away from nothing whatsoever. Swedenborg tries to describe, sometimes they sound almost humorous, but I think they're, they're really very serious, the sheer terror that people experience in hell. There's just no, it's horrible because there's no protection because they have voluntarily given up all, you know, they said, no, we don't want anything to do with the, the Lord. We tried to cut off John the Baptist's head. We, we didn't want to hear it and everything. And then they have nothing to protect them. So they end up in this situation, no power to stand before their enemies. And um, just unbelievable fear. And however strong or adamant or mighty they, they mean, may seem or aggressive or whatever, there's just this deep panic and, and terror underneath all of that. Uh, such a terrible state. There's no peace for the wicked. That's, that's quite an understatement. Um, you didn't know what made for your peace 
we, we head in the wrong direction. We try, well, well this will be good. This will be good. Oh, I don't want to hear what the Lord has to say, but this will be good. That'll be good, says the outer self. But that's, that's not the way to get to peace. So let's look at what the Lord is offering us instead. Let's go to Matthew chapter 10 in the New Testament. Hmm. Uh, verse 34. Now, this is kind of interesting. Look at this here. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. Now, uh, what I believe is being discussed there is the same thing we read about in Proverbs. When a wise man argues with a foolish man, where the foolish man is laughing or raging, there's no peace. Uh, when we go through this process, when there's a battle between the inner self and the outer self, which is what's meant by the, the man against his father, daughter against the mother, daughter-in-law against the mother-in-law, that man's foes should be those of your own household. Your own household means within your own will. Uh, there's, I think not that I came to send peace on the earth. I didn't come to send peace, but a sword. Uh, what he's talking about is that the short-term effect, well, I don't even mean short-term, it might be decades, but, but in the, in the short-term uh, relative to eternity, we'll be going through a lot of unpeaceful stuff. There'll be all this variance within our internal household. There'll be all this wrestling and, and all that. A very unpeaceful thing to regenerate, to, to try to get over uh, you know, our own lower will and so forth. And I think that's what it means here that the Lord says that he did not come to send peace on the earth. Because elsewhere, it's very clearly taught that he did come to send peace on the earth. Let's look at a couple of those. Turn to the right to Luke Mm, I did a whole Bible study on this one, one time. Luke 1. Uh, this is what the Lord is going to do. 177 and following. To give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Yes. Peace is a way. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a life. It's not just a, oh, I'm feeling this for a second. There's a whole way. There's a peaceful way of living. And the Lord came to guide our feet, feet meaning our outer self, into the way of peace. Uh, trying to show us the way to live that leads toward peace, which is the repentance, going through temptations and so on, coming out the other side. And look at Luke 2, uh, 13 and 14, the Christmas story. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. See, there is supposed to be peace on the earth. The whole idea is to bring this peace on the earth. There'll be a sword in the short run because of this, uh, you know, in the outer self, which meant by the earth. But ultimately, the uh, idea here 
See, we don't know what makes for our peace. So our outer self thinks, well, hey, if I get this, if I can only eat all of that or drink all of this or do this or do that or whatever, uh, we think that'll make me really, really happy. I'm telling you, it's going to make me so happy. And then it makes you miserable and you need to do more and it never really works and it doesn't fill the hole in your soul and everything. Um, but if we turn instead to laying those things aside and try to get hooked up with the Lord inside, in the long run, that true peace that comes inside can filter down into the outer self. The idea of the Lord's coming was to have peace on earth, peace in our outer self. And that is real peace. Now, that's the situation we want to end up in. We, we're, we're doing spending a lot of quality time studying the before picture. But that's the after picture. That's where we want to be headed, is it not? Uh, a situation where you have the Lord in the inner self, and then because the outer self has become uh, compliant and cooperative, that peace can radiate even down into the outer self and fill it. That's what the Lord wants to do on earth peace. Your glory to God in the highest on an earth peace. Goodwill toward, toward everybody. You know, your heart is in a good state because peace does have to do with love. Uh, I want to have a, you know, indulge in a brief tangent about... Uh, uh, hippiedom and so forth. It's interesting that there was such a sense, you know, 50 years ago, whatever, about peace and love, peace and love. Those go together. The, that's, that's a very important thing. There was a little problem, if I may uh, express an opinion, uh, that it sort of went peace and love and drugs and promiscuity and alcohol and lawlessness or something. And those last four didn't actually make for lasting peace for ourselves or our, our nation or what, you know, we had to sort of get over that after a while. The peace and love part, I think, was a great idea. I think it might have been the wrong self was sort of determining, it's like, what, what that looks like or something, you know? But the idea is good, and the idea of peace coming from love, Swedenborg says that peace, in one passage, he says that all peace comes from mutual love. Such an interesting idea. In other words, love between people. That's where peace comes from. It comes from relationships with others, from, from love. Uh, let's read some more peace passages, shall we? Let's go to the right to John. Let's go to John 14. Hmm. Okay, some famous passages about uh, peace. 1427. Peace I leave with you. My, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Yes, isn't that beautiful? And so it's the Lord's peace. It's not, he doesn't give the way the world gives. Like the world wants to give you sort of short-term gratification or something, but then leave you craving more. But the Lord doesn't give that way. Not as the world gives do I give to you. I, so any passage that we just read in Matthew 10 that said that I came not to bring peace but a sword, you have to put together with a passage like this where it's, you know, whole point is that he came here. He's the Prince of Peace. He came here to leave his peace with us. He gives his peace to us. And he does not do it the way the world does. The, the world really doesn't supply us with a lasting eternal covenant of peace. That's something we have to go to the Lord to get. 
look at this sad statement in 16 verses 1 and 2. This is more like the beheading of John the Baptist. These things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. Yes, that, that's just such a powerful statement to me that, that um, you know, there, there was probably a way of looking at it that thought that, no, we're really, this is good to kill John the Baptist, or this is good to kill Jesus. You know, he's, he's getting in the way, he's ruining things. And so people actually think that they're doing for God what they're doing by by killing people who have a good message for them. That's sort of the lower self side. But look at the end of John 16, verse 33. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. Uh -huh. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. There it is. Nicely read, dear reader. And the... Um, of in the Lord we have peace. In the world, you just absolutely will have, you know, you will have tribulation, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Um, let's see. I'll just mention in passing how many times uh, the Lord says to people after he heals them, he says, go in peace, <coughs> right? He heals them and he says, go in peace. And there's a going to peace. There's a walking or a, there's a way that you live. You know, go like live in a peaceful way. Oh, let's go to uh, through Acts to Romans. Romans chapter 14. Uh, 17 to 19 in Romans 14. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. I was convinced that if you could eat the right thing and eat enough of it, I thought you could get there. I, I really did. But it says, it claims here that the kingdom of God is not. It's amazing. How could it be so wrong? The kingdom of God is not food and drink. What is it again? Righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Mm, go on. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Aha. Uh -huh. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace. And there's that pursuit again. And the things by which one may edify another. Yes, there's a selflessness also in that peace, the peace coming from mutual love. Uh, let's pursue the things that make for peace and things that will help each other, will edify, build up each other. I like that passage. Okay, turn to the right and let's go to oh. Hebrews chapter 4, which is about in the middle of the epistles, halfway back to Revelation. Go to Hebrews chapter 4. Hmm. Oh, let's just start at verse 4 here. It's got this great talk about you know, entering into the Lord's rest and the seventh day and all that. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Mm. 
Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Aha, uh-huh. disobedience is what did not allow them to go into the Lord's rest. Again, he designates a certain day, saying in David, Today, after such a long time as it has been said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Yes, it's about the softness of the heart. Don't harden your heart. If you hear his voice, don't try to cut off that voice. Uh, Soften your heart. Let that come in. Go on. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. Uh There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Yes, okay. And so in the old King James, although it reads quite differently in here, it says, let us labor therefore to enter into that rest, which is wonderfully sort of ironic, you know, that you have to labor to get into that state of rest. And it says in verse 10, he that has entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works. Mm-hmm. It's sort of doing what you, you know, your lower self decided, which is really under the influence of hell and that sort of thing. Uh, you know, stop doing that as God rested from his. And Swedenborg talks about this, this peace that can come after all these days. It's when the temptations, the battles between heaven and hell come to an end in us. And we come into this great peace, this consolation and so on. And so we do have to labor to enter into that rest and be diligent is just as good uh, because it's disobedience that will not allow us to enter into that rest. And let's turn to the right. Let's go to James chapter 4. Starting at the first verse there, this wonderful little um, discussion about war, the opposite of peace. There's James. James 4, at the beginning? Yes. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? Aha! Did I not tell you, friends? Is that not what I've been telling you? You see, it comes from that desire, the outer self. I want this pleasure. This is what I want. But, oh, someone else is trying to get it. Now I'm going to fight them and everything. You know, the whole thing. That's where wars and fighting comes from. You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. Can you see, friends, how right in those brief sort of, there's not many objects to those verbs. There's just sort of (laughs) verbs floating around in that verse. Uh, But it kind of encapsulates the whole thing I've been talking about that even though you, tr- you, know, you desire, you lust, but you don't get what you really want. You, you know, even if you're killing, you, you can't get what... Herod didn't get what he wanted. He, he, he got more fear afterwards. And, and you fight and you war, and yet you still don't have because you haven't asked the Lord. Go on. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Oh, 
Yeah, if only we could get rid of that desire for those pleasures, we'd be better off. Go on. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Ah, see, that's what we're talking about there, isn't it? You've you got to go one way or the other. You know, to go with, and it's not that the world is bad, but you know what it's talking about. It's talking about that sort of materialism or, or you know, self-indulgence. Go on. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? Hmm. But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Didn't it say something about the contrite heart and all that in, in one of those Psalms that, that it's not that we won't go through affliction or whatever, but if we go through that, the Lord can give us in that humility, he can give, give us something good. And it's got a little recipe right here in verse seven and eight. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Double-minded, yes, yes. Don't be double-minded. Be, be single-minded. And First uh, Peter, so turn immediately to the right. Let's go First Peter 3. And let's read verses 8 to uh, 12. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Hmm. Love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, hmm. but on the contrary, blessing. Blessing knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. There was another passage we just read tonight that said that same thing, didn't it? Okay, go on. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Ah. Let him seek peace and pursue there it. There it is. Seek peace and pursue it. See, the message of the Old Testament, same message in the New Testament. Turn away from evil, do good, seek peace, and pursue it. Why? For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. All right, I think we'll close our passages there tonight. But I just want to uh, wrap this up with a thought that Swedenborg tries to describe the peace in heaven. And he says, there's just absolutely no way to do it. Anything that we think of as being peace, we're still only thinking of it, he says, from our outer selves. We're thinking about, okay, you finally got what you wanted or the conflict came to an end or whatever it was. Um, we can hardly even imagine what it's like to have that deep state of peace and safety in our inner selves, just running down, you know, like oil on the head of air, just, just coming down and filling us. Even our outer self can feel this amazing peace. The outer self left to its own devices has no clue. It doesn't know what makes for our peace. 
it only knows to how to head in a dead wrong direction. It's just wrong about what it wants. And we have a nice uh, plan A that we're living out now to see how that works out. But so good to work towards, although it's a lot of sort of internal battle and everything, to work towards that second state where the Lord can develop something within us so the Lord can be present with us. Can you imagine the the sense of peace. There was this great quote the other night on the Swedenborg and Life show from someone who had a near-death experience who said that when he was in the presence of the Lord, it was like the Lord knew him so much better than his own parents knew him or anything. It was just this wonderful feeling of safety and peace. And uh, the presence of the Lord can give that to us and that can come down even to, to the outside. And that everlasting covenant of peace. It's not this little, you'll feel good for 15 minutes and then don't worry about what happens after that, that the lower self is always trying to sell you. Uh, no, it's talking about a lasting peace, an incremental peace. Doesn't it say in Isaiah 9 verse 7, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Mm. That's, that's quite a thought. That's a better deal. If you had to weigh one against the other, I would say, Go with the everlasting, ever-increasing peace. It's, it's, a, it's a better deal. Thank you for your kind attention. Good friends, let's close with a prayer. Oops. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you are the one God of heaven and earth. You came into this world to bring peace, to bring goodwill. Please help us, Lord, in our struggles. So much of our life in this world is not peaceful, but develop that peace in our inner selves, Lord, and bit by bit let that spill down even into our outer selves, the peace of loving you, the peace of loving one another. Amen. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let's keep on repenting, friends, so that we can taste that peace.